Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics. I'm your host, Angel, with Phil Pepe. How's it going, Angel? It's going well, bro. Another week. Um, uh, it was yeah. actually, yeah, you know what's crazy? Because it was a light comic week. Um, yes. Which which can be good and bad, right? So it's good in a sense because it saves you on your pocket. Mm-hmm. But then it's bad because and then if you're really like really light, you tend to venture out. And and this was me yesterday, right? I'm looking at the freaking mag rack. And I'm like, fuck, man, Judge Dredd magazine looks, I've never read it. So I was like, we haven't had a Judge Dredd in so long. And I just like that character. So I was trying to get a fix, and I was like, "Fuck! It's it's a it's a closed seal package, it has mm-hmm. two little like a smaller magazine and obviously the magazine size, and it's ten ninety nine. I'm like, "Fuck! Do I really want to do that?" And I look at my pile, and it's not that big. But that's not the problem. The problem is, is if I like it, then I go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm trying to guess it because I'm I'm talking to a customer when he comes in. He's like, "Yeah, do you get it? Um, you might have like in the middle of like." a part of a story yep. so i was like oh no that means i would have to go back um and then continue forward so yeah i went down that rabbit hole which is another rabbit hole that i'm going now explaining <laughs> the rabbit hole that i went down <laughs> so yes and, and there's a lot of those judge, judge dread magazines I oh, think what, what, what it's like issue 1000 something that it's at right now is it like no no for something yeah i have 431 so and i think okay. it's like a little bit more a little bit after that but yeah. Yeah, so I got in, in, it. In the, in the old days, the 2000 AD was a weekly comic. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Holy crap. All right, so the, <laughs> so the 2000 AD is a smaller um, mag that came in there. Yeah. Um, and basically, it's just uh, it's a who's who. So yeah. it's just uh, like all the characters that they've had over whatever. So I think this is M through N that I got. So now I'm really freaked out because I have to go back <laughs> all the way to A. Especially you with your who's who's and your, oh, your, uh, your guidebooks and stuff like that. Oh, yes. And then to top it off, it's a fucking mag size. So now I need to have to get more mag boxes <laughs> if I'm going to go back. So it's not good. Um, all right, guys, we got off onto a tangent here. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Indie Comic Review. Uh, this is for the week of June 1st in the year of our Lord twenty. 22. Uh, so before we get into the comics that we have for this week, just a little bit of bit of news. Um, yeah, more deaths, bro. I feel like every week as we get older, the people that we grew up with, and if you're like under the age of like 30-ish, then you can go fuck off because you're probably not going to know anybody that we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, another, so we're, we're blaming most of the deaths are coming three on a colleague that's at work. Well, I'm not going to say we. I'm going to say you are blaming it. Uh, so the big he, one. He, he owns up to it. He has a, he has a tendency to, when he mentions a celebrity, they're dead within a couple days. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I hope he never this, says my name. This is not on him. The, okay. Uh, the three in the one day last week were not on him. Not on him? Uh, he doesn't seem to recall having talked about them in the week prior. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, the big one, obviously, is uh, Ray Liotta. Whew, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we grew up with him. And if, you know, you've seen freaking, uh, uh, what was, oh, shit. Why, I, why is that? Why am good, I drawing good, a blank? Yeah, Goodfellas. Goodfellas, right? Yeah, that's like the main one. Um, yeah, and he wasn't uh, even like the scariest guy in that movie. but No, but he was so good in that movie. Yeah. Oh. And it, he's had just a long body of work and stuff like that, so. Yeah, and as we were talking about this a little yesterday, um, he was one of the people on the short list to play the Joker uh, in Tim Burton's Batman. Um, and it's amazing to think if that they didn't get Nicholson and they wound up with Ray Liotta, um, what that would have done to his career. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And 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 even even I think the the impact and the reach of the movie. He was I think he was doing Field of Dreams at the time that they were they were considering all this. So I think it might have not worked out regardless. Right. Uh, but had it worked out, there's no way Ray Liotta plays Henry Hill in Goodfellas if he plays the Joker in Batman. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that that changes that dynamic of that movie because Goodfellas is outside of The Godfather, one of the most popular, most watched, most loved mafia movies right, right. mafia focused movies so uh to, to think about about that variant universe right where there's a there's a there's a, a divergent reality out there where lay Riota killed it as the joker in batman and you know who knows what that would have done to that franchise and, and but you know though i think it would have been equally just as good because oh. you know as, as scary as jack nicholson is ray Liotta can be play really scary and like mad frantic really yep. really well so i think that you know that psycho killer of a clown i think he would have freaking killed it um, think, of, think about it if you had never if you didn't know ray Liotta's body of work right if right this was, you know because everybody knew jack going into batman everyone knew jack was what, was what he was going to bring you didn't know ray Liotta, and then this psycho's on screen right now as the joker like yeah. you, you're you're you know it would it would have been insane because that cause, well what did he have he had one flew over the cuckoo's nest so you know he could play crazy yeah. But he also had Shining, which he could play a freaking psycho killer. He just kind of merged those two characters basically together. And then, he, and then Jake Giddes in Chinatown, where he just was the you know more cool, reserved. That which would have been the, against the sort of the Jack Napier that we yep. see pre Joker, you know. So yeah, I mean, we all had a great sense of what Nicholson could do. Uh, and Leota, uh, you know, again, you know, you oh, look man. at look at how he plays. And, but like, look at how he plays Henry Hill in some of those manic moments, like with the helicopter following me all day, yep, you yep, know, yep, yep, yep. Uh, and Goodfellas, and then see that channeled into the Joker, and that would have been that would have been amazing. Oh uh, man, I want to see that. I want to see that as much as I want to see uh, the Nicolas Cage Superman. Uh, yes, yes, always, <laughs> always. Uh, all right, and then who were the others? Uh, then to? there was, um, you know, for music fans, it was um, I think. Uh, Alan White, uh, I want to say, one of the drummers for Yes, and uh, keyboardist um, for Depeche Mode, Andy right, Fletcher. Right. Uh, which you know, a lot of lot of lot of folks I know from high school uh, were, were 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 deeply upset about that because that was a soundtrack for a lot of the kids that yeah. I went to high school with. So yeah, if you're under yeah. thirty, fuck off because you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> all right, yeah. So I, I, I hopefully this is not going to be a weekly thing where we're talking about death. Um, but it just seems as we're getting older, the people that we actually grew up with, you know, it, yeah, things are happening. And unfortunately, like Ray Liotta actually passed on a set that he was uh, yes. on his, his next film. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to go back and watch Goodfellas just to freaking. Yeah, it was good. I think he was yeah. in, if I'm not mistaken. No, maybe he wasn't. No, he was. He was in Copland, too, wasn't he? Was it a Stallone? Oh, uh, yeah, he yes, was. He was. Yes. He was. Yes. Um, yeah, so it, it just a whole bunch of stuff. So there. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Hey, so, look, as long as Betty White's st st still around, <laughs> we're, you know, we're fine. <laughs> You're fucked up. It's too soon, man. Um, okay, so yeah, so pop news out. We do have a little bit of comic news as well. Do uh, you want to shoot uh, shoot on that? Yeah, this is this is actually uh, some pretty big news. 
uh, after 20 years, Jeez. Joe Quesada is leaving Marvel Comics. And that's kind of a really big deal because Joe Quesada, you know, uh, sort of came, came onto his own as an artist in the early 90s, uh, flirted with the big two, right? Did uh, the Batman sort of Asriel miniseries with Denny O'Neill for DC in the early 90s, which really sets up the Jean-Paul Valley uh, Asriel uh, character and mythos uh, that rolled you right into uh, the, the Nightfall, uh, very popular Nightfall run or pivotal Nightfall run for Batman. Uh, did a bunch of stuff for Marvel, but also started uh, indie comic imprint Event Comics with Jimmy Palmiotti. And it was the success of, 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 of Event that they had very early on because Event pretty much folded right after this. But they had a title called Ash, which was a superhero fireman. Um, and that was, was popular enough that Marvel hired Jim, Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti to start and launch the Marvel Knights imprint, which gave us you know, the, the, the Punisher run that, mm -hmm, that uh, mm -hmm. Quesada illustrated with Kevin Smith writing, and then that led into the uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis era, and then the Ed Brubaker, and, and, you know, and then 20 years of stories of, of Matt Murdock and or Daredevil always being in prison, and people always seeming to find out his identity. <laughs> uh, and then the whole bunch of uh, great stuff with, with, uh, with Marvel Knights. Uh, and, and, and then he became the big cheese at Marvel comics and has guided Marvel comics essentially for about the last, you know, 20 years. Uh, and, and so this is kind of huge that he is now walking away from that because he has done so much for that company. Uh, and, and a lot of it, you know, amazing. I mean, he, he put Marvel back on the map in the early 2000s when they were struggling. He initiated the ultimate comics line. A lot of stuff you're seeing in the movies were, were, were things that started under his watch, uh, storylines that he, he push, pushed creators to do uh, that led us to Civil War, which then becomes slightly adapted into a movie. And, you know, so, so, so you can't underestimate what Joe Quesada has done, not just for Marvel Comics, but for the industry. I wish him well on whatever his future endeavors are. And I think he's getting back to creating. He's getting back to, to doing some art. Yeah, there hasn't I been hear, any official announcement as to what he's doing. Yeah, I hear rumors he might be doing something with film and television. So I'm excited to see what he's got coming up next. By all accounts, one of the nicest guys in the industry. Right. And brought this sort of brash uh, bravado to Marvel in the early 2000s that really made Marvel, you know, between DC and Marvel, Marvel were the bad guys of comics under Joe Quesada's uh, you know, reign. Uh, right. and, and, and just did some really amazing stuff. So I'm really It'd be interesting to, to see if he's going to do something still in the comic industry and maybe start an imprint himself. I mean, there's enough talent out there that went into the Substack, you know, realm. Um, mm -hmm. And they're still kind of floating out there and they've been finding homes like, you know, you got Scott Snyder, who's, you know, taking his stuff that was on Substack and went on to Comixology. And now it's going on to Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. um, you got Frank Miller popping up with his imprint. Um, yep. I'm going to do stuff there. So it'd be interesting to see if there's I mean, there's enough talent out there and to, to kind of like rally them up. I'm not going to say that it's another image, you know, because this is not the 90s and, you know, there isn't <clears throat> any, you know, seven particular people that, you know, will shake the market in that sense because he's not going to pull anybody from the big two. But right. there's enough, I think, talent out there to create another imprint that can make an impact on the industry. I mean, look at what happened with Bad Idea. They came in, they, they shook it up for a little tiny bit, um, and then they just fizzled out. So whether or not 
because that there's rumors that he may be heading over there. But right. those are those are rumors that we started. So <laughs> you, <laughs> you, heard really count. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, but who knows? Because to to do something like that is so much work. And you had um, and who was it uh, that was head over there? Because it was a couple of guys. Um, it was Valiant um, ex Soul Man War dude that was um, pretty much the head of it. Um, um, I can't I remember his name. Yes, writer, yes, 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 yeah. yes. But he was yeah. a big part of it. So and he, I think he got more creators on board uh, for that mm-hmm. particular thing. So there's, there's, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, all of it is going to be speculation, but, you know, to walk away not having something doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So this, there's definitely got to be something there. And, and, you know, it could be something as simple as he just missed being tied to the drawing board and Maybe. drawing sequential comics. And it could just be as simple as that. He didn't have the time to do that as a creator. He, he The last thing I think he did was the, the uh, One More Day storyline for last full comic uh, that he, uh. he illustrated. That's, that's a dozen years ago. So the hope is maybe that, yeah, maybe he just missed that. And, and as an art, a true artist, he wanted to get back to that. So I'm excited for him. I, I, I very much look forward to seeing what he's got down the pike because he you know he he's he's a kingmaker so in a lot of ways when it comes to this medium and the, to something that we've talked about before on this show and 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 personally he's the last holdout preventing uh dc and marvel from crossing over because that happened under his watch with bill jemis they said we are never going to cross over with dc Ugh. after that jla avengers jemis left shortly after that uh, everybody at DC that was like, well, fine, we don't want to work with you either. They're gone. So he was the last person standing in the way besides now the corporate bean counters who, if the corporate bean counters are counting their beans right, know that a DC Marvel crossover would be huge. Oh, it would be uh, money. He's the, he's the last one you know, hold, holding that back uh, as far as an editorial uh, decree. So, okay. So we're saying it right now. There is going to be another crossover. R- rumor with, number two. With, within LA our lifetime. Avengers 2 happening next summer. <laughs> We're going to take it even further. I'm going to take it even further. If we get that crossover between these two big industries in a comic realm, in, in the me- comic medium, I guarantee we will get something on film. Oh, oh, we'll be like 70, 75, but <sighs> dude, in our lifetime, then yes. It's possible with the mess that Warner Brothers is in right now and just the fact that Marvel Studios is an independent film company. The only way way it will not happen is if they don't come to terms with the actual story. So, like, who comes out on top? Nobody ever comes out on top of those things. It is always 50-50 even. You'll get some great fucking scenes with Superman smashing the shit out of Hulk, (laughs) which would be fantastic. Um Batman against Iron Man. Yeah, let's just uh, or, right. or or give a, give us an animated adaptation of the George Perez Kurt Busiek. Oh uh, man, JLA Avengers. You know, just that that an animated image of that of Superman holding Thor's hammer and Cap shield ready yeah. to go. Like and, that's... And, and release it in theaters because it will make money. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, <laughs> a, a girl can dream. A girl can dream. All right, cool. Um, all right, so cool. So yeah, so we'll see what happens with Joker Sadadon. We'll just keep our ear to the ground and see if there's anything coming out of that. Um, and then this weekend you have uh, your show coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my uh, my monthly Sunday uh, first Sunday of every month podcast, the Pep Talk uh, on Blog Talk Radio, is uh, I'm very excited for my guest this this week <coughs> coming up. It's uh, you know, again I, I I pepper these with like 
my best friends, people I've known for 30 years, just so I know the conversation could be easy. But uh, mm. for those of you kids who were uh, in the comics, in the comics in the 90s, you clearly remember Wizard Magazine. And my friend Tom Palmer Jr. Uh, wrote for the first 75 issues of, of uh, Wizard Magazine, the Palmer's Picks article. And the great thing about the Palmer's Picks article, uh, and the reason why many of us probably skipped over that article in the magazine for those first 75 issues is the Wizard was very superhero focused. Palmer's Picks was the indie comic spotlight mm -hmm. monthly in Wizard Magazine when it started. So in a lot of ways, I'm psyched that we're doing this podcast because for me this started with tom i i would read his articles and i would talk to him about indie creators like harvey p Carr and james kachalka and 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 the 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 uh the love and rockets guys you know the the hernandez brothers you know so so all of that really for me stems from tom he turned me on to books like preacher and and and, and then delving further into the weirdness of indie comics like a book that no one's ever heard of called the cheeseheads which was such a great great comic or the tykes by steve weiserman you know all these really great early in early indie stuff so tom did that so if you're a fan of wizard magazine and you want to get some inside baseball on the early days of wizard tom's going to be talking about that we're also going to be talking about his time with toy fair magazine and then again for me one of the greatest things for me to have happen was my one of my best friends in the early 2000s was the assistant or associate editor for the Superman line of comics. Uh, so, so president Luther, uh, the, the Jeff Loeb, uh, Ed McGinnis, Superman, Batman series. These happened under Tom's watch, uh, our worlds at war. And then of course, most importantly, Tom, got Superman Red Sun, that great Mark Millar miniseries, published. He found this script in an inventory drawer, said, why are we not publishing it? He got it done. And that is really regarded as one of the best Superman stories in any continuity. So it's going to be really exciting to talk to Tom about that, really find out what, what it was like, what went into making comics in the early 2000s, because things are very different now. Mm -hmm. And then, of course... Tom, like me, is the son of a niche famous person. So, you know, my father was Phil Pepe, sports writer. Uh, it's where I get the name for the pep talk is from one of his, his uh, projects. Tom's dad is legendary inker Tom Palmer senior i don't have to say that you know that uh and has done a, a, an amazing body of work and has worked on just about every marvel title and a ton of dc titles uh just one of the greatest anchors in the business and has worked with some of the greats like neil adams and john buscema uh and, and is a stellar artist in his own right so yeah cool uh, what time is, it goes only, live at what time it goes live at 9 p.m sunday uh, and what I'll do is I only advertise it on Facebook because I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, what I'll probably do is um, once I have that link, I'll just pop it in the comics uh, under this post. Cool. Uh, just pop that little link in there. And, uh, you know, if anyone wants to check it out, check it out live. After it's live, you can just listen anytime you want. There you go, guys. It's Sunday, great for doing dishes, too. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. And then if you're not able to make the live session, it does get. Um, archive and you can always go back and listen to it as well yeah. um all right cool so yeah let's let's hop right into it we've got uh three books for you this week um i guess you can go ahead and start off with the one book that i didn't read that you read and that is new the think right a yeah the awa yeah. upshot book new think issue one or issue 1.0 as they put that on the cover there 
Okay. <laughs> oh. So this is uh, this is by Greg Hurwitz, who uh, wrote the great uh, miniseries that we loved from AWA Upshot called Knighted. Uh, this issue is illustrated by Mike Diotto Jr., just fresh off of his run, his four-issue miniseries, uh, The Fourth Man, for for AWA. Colored by Lee Loffridge, lettered by And World Design, and we have a Michael Coast as senior editor, Dulce Montoya as associate editor, and Thea Chuck as assistant editor. I can't I can't sit here and talk about how my friend was an associate editor for DC and not let these other associate assistant editors go uh, go unsaid on this book. So this is very interesting. Remember we did that uh, series the, the the first issue of that series Quad, right? Yes. Quad was a four issue single story in each issue tied to a greater world or a greater theme. Supposedly. Those are my Supposedly. I know you read, I think, the next one and couldn't quite find the connection there. But that's what it was billed at. So this new think from AWA Upshot is a very similar thing where each issue is its own story with a different artist for each issue. The hook, though, is that this is not exploring dystopian futures like most science fiction does, though it is a cautionary tale, but it is exploring our dystopian present. Mm. So think about that. So what, uh, what, what you basically have here in this first story called The Screens, it's when, and it is with a K, S-K-R-E-E-N-S, you basically have a story. A, a story that tells through sequential panels and narration the rise of a virus that infects humanity. And that virus is technology, specifically our computer screens. And it goes from the, the early computer with the, you know, the, the, the codes and then how the screens themselves demanded this attention and forced us to replicate, the, replicate them so that then we would build these, these not, first we would start by having little sections in our homes devoted to our screens. We branched out from that so that the screens encompass more of our homes. Then we built buildings to house more screens so we could work it for the screens. Then when that wasn't enough, we created baby screens that we could carry <laughs> with us. And this just goes through all of that. First and foremost, I got to say the, the Mike Diodato art in here is, is absolutely gorgeous. He's not, since he's not telling a narrative uh, story as far as with characters talking to each other, doing he doesn't, you know, quote unquote, cast it with recognizable faces, mm. but the photo reference is there. And it's just, you know, he really knocked it out of the park with this one uh, where just the details that he puts in and how he, you know, shows people again, without look reading the, the text, you're just like, Oh, there's people taking selfies. Oh, that's somebody on Twitter. Oh, that's somebody looking at their phone in front of their baby, you know? And, and, and then once you read it, you start to see, what's going on there but Diodato really knocked it out of the park and and i kind of think it's funny that i think he's doing a lot digital now to 
to, to think about the fact that he's drawing this screen against screens oh. on a screen. All so right. I thought that was very interesting. But that's the way of the world. And that's kind of what it what it goes into here is that they have become so much of a part of our society. And it really does treat this like this this sort of virus that has infected us to the point where communication when people are next to each other or face to face has almost disappeared in some instances where and I've seen and I've seen families at restaurants all looking at their phones at the table, uh, people all sitting on buses or trains not communicating, not making eye contact. We're all on our baby screens. So I found this very fascinating. I found it a little chilling to be, to, to put this in that context, but Greg Hurwitz did a really, really good job uh, of, of equating it to, to this sort of virus. And, uh, and I really am curious to see what the next four things that he's going to tackle in this uh, five issue miniseries. Uh, so again, I was really impressed with Greg Hurwitz's writing on Knighted, um, as well as some of his other comic work. He's also a novelist and a screenwriter, mm. uh, but he really did a good job selling the point in New Think 1.0 about what we're look what we're looking at right now as a society. And I, and as Axel Alonso says uh, in in his Axe to Grind on the back page of this. Um, you know, that there's so much going on right now that, 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 that what we need to see where we are is a dystopian look at our present. So we can step back and say, okay, this isn't a, this isn't the future. This is now, how can we better our future based on what we're looking at now? And what's kind of chilling is he, in his thing, he talks about all the bad things that have been going on recently. Mm. And one of the things he mentions, and, and this really grabbed me. Um, saying how mass shootings occur every other Wednesday. And what was chilling to me was I had just heard this on the, on the news on my way home before I read that when I got here. Um, last Tuesday was a mass shooting. And now here we are a week and a day later. And on Wednesday, there was a mass shooting. Mm. And I thought that that, for some reason, that really grabbed me. And I read that before I read the comic. So I think that really put me in the right mindset for what, what we were dealing with on this, on this new thing, number one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, things are messed up. And I think it's, a really, it's really important for us to just take a look at our present right now and, and see where we're at, see what we're doing to each other. And honestly, if this was designed to make me think, this book did, did its job. Ah, cool. So we recommend? Absolutely. Absolutely recommend it. And again, it's just a one-off too. So, so if you just, if that concept and that story and that analogy of how screens can sort of be like a virus, you know, you're, you just have to deal with that one issue. If you like it, if you like what he's doing there, go on. But again, different artist, each issue, different, different story, different exploration of our dystopian present in each issue. But new thing, number one, that that's a must read. It was really good. And as soon as I was done with it, man, I hopped on my phone and I told all my friends on Facebook to read this book. <laughs> nice. Okay. Another thing I really love too, is when they do, uh, when they change logos for things. Uh -huh. So it's really funny to see like, you know, Apple is an apple in this book. It's pear. Oh yeah, they always do that. Little funny names that they change, like like Twitter is called Twipper, and I just I love when they kind of do that. <laughs> so that, that made me chuckle throughout this very serious book. All right, cool. All right, it's so a new thing from AW Ace uh, Comics. Yeah, check them out. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's funny that you mentioned that logo thing because the book that I read is from Image Comics called The Phalanx. 
Um, yes. And this is script, illustrations, lettering, and design, all by Jonathan Luna. So this is another one-off person. And you're mentioning those little logos. So basically, this book is sort of like a tribute or, or an homage to Image Comics, which started, which is celebrating its 30th years of of existence. So you're looking at back in '92 uh, uh, when they sort of like came into existence. And this person you know, was based out of Italy. So Jonathan, I believe, was in Italy at the time. Um, I guess because uh, father was in the military, so they were on a, a base. And the only way they can get comics is ordering it. So like, I remember on the back of comics, they would have mm-hmm. like all the comics that were coming out and they have like a little order form that you can um, send in. Yeah, he had to cut it out. Yes, you had to cut it out. So you had to cut it out, <laughs> send it in and then wait for the comics. Um, and he talks about how he got all like the number one issues of, you know, the seven founders of Image Comics, and I respects and was just kind of dumbfounded and enthralled in it. And you know, he was with Image ever since then. Um, and then since then, he's done about eighty or so uh, comics with them, which is impressive. So this was sort of like a uh, a throwback or an homage to to the early nineties of the comics. And it's funny because the front cover, I was trying to figure out what it was from and it's from wildcats it uh, is wildcats yes. I was thinking brigade but no yeah, wildcats because wild. you, were, uh, you initially said that too yeah yeah so and then on the back is like the order form for all the stuff that he's done for image <laughs> which is funny but then like the logos that you're talking about i'm, I'm taking a, another look at it i'm like what the fuck does that say and on the bottom instead of visa v-i-s-a is vesa v-e-s-a <laughs> but the same thing and then instead of mastercard slave card and then something oh, with a metric oh, express. Like yeah, so it's funny. So but but it's it looks just like it would have like in the nineties when you wanted to order your stuff um on there and just has a whole body of work that he's done. Uh, I think the first thing that he actually did with Image was back in two thousand four called Ultra. And that was another superhero book and stuff like that. So if you want to go back and read uh, uh and study his body of work, um you can go back to to then. Uh but this particular book, uh, pretty much straightforward, it was super nineties. Um, and that's not, it depends on what that means to you. Like for me, like back then when they first started and it hit hard, it was really a lot about the art. Like the art just took you in. The stories were, uh, some of them were hit or miss, um, in that respect. She didn't really just sit down and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, what's, it wasn't Alan Moore. It wasn't, uh, Morrison and stuff like that. So it wasn't like a heavy read. Like you can ingest it. Like you couldn't ingest uh, a 20 minute cartoon on, mm-hmm. on Saturday mornings. Um, so I gave you a fail. Uh, and this kind of just like, it, it had that same tone, in it, which was great. And the story was simple. You pretty much just had this female mercenary, uh, named Spur who's chasing this mysterious villain who has like this uh, gem that he's walking around with. And that gem is sort of like hiding a demon that he is able to expel out um, to fight. Um, but it ends up opening a portal, and that portal sends them back into time. So they're in current day time now, and it sends them back to 92, which is mm-hmm. hilarious. So she actually runs into the superhero team back in 92 that is also in the current future. So she knows <laughs> who they all are, so they're much younger, whatever. Um, and so there's just all this hijinks of, you know, the team coming and saying, we felt this, you know, time rift portal thing open. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. They have their exchange and then they end up finding this guy, finding the demon. Um, it was it was good. And the fact that he did all of it himself was just really impressive because it is a one shot. So it's an open, you know, closed story and then you're, you're good to go. Oh, the cool. one this is the one thing that I, I find with most one shots, though, is like you're getting all of this story and then you're getting to the middle. 
and it still hasn't moved a whole bunch. And then you get three quarters of the way, and it's moved a little bit more. But you're like, holy fuck, there's only like four more pages. How are they going to finish this? Right. And sometimes it feels like the end is a little bit more rushed than mm-hmm. you had in that, that you know, the first three acts of the story. Um, and and this, this was kind of the same way. It wasn't disappointing. I mean, it was, it was a good read. I was like, oh, this, I, I finished reading it, and I was like, oh, that was, that was kind of clever. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was good. So if you, if you like like that nineties feel to uh, a book in your hand, um, this is right up your alley. One of my favorites. And it's funny cause this book wasn't bagged on a shelf. Um, and one of the, um, the superheroes is sort of like a, a Hulk, um, esque kind of, a um, hero. So she bursts out of her clothes and, <laughs> but it's supposed to expand. And it's funny because one of the other heroes says, oh, we still can't get her freaking spandex right. Uh. So she expands and is literally just like her cooch is covered, but she has these huge, humongous, freaking muscular breasts. Um, and then when she goes back to her normal size, she just covers them with her hands. But when she's walking around as like a hulkish, she doesn't care. They're all out. Um, so it's funny. Uh, but yeah, needless to say, they, they save the day. They find the freaking guy. They separate him from the crystal and the demon that was in the crystal. Um, and then, yeah, it's done. So it's a pretty much straightforward story. Like I said, it's an homage to that time and era. So if you want, if you can't get your hands, and, and there's so much of it, because by then they were printing millions of copies in the 90s <laughs> for stuff, so you can get your hands on any. But it, it's cool because it was a different time where, and a different era where you can see kind of like, especially, you know, you can see art changing, art styles, and, and different people coming in. But you could also see from like the 50s to the 60s to the 70s into the 90s into where we are now, the evolution of storytelling, it, especially from the writing perspective, is so different. Um, there's, it's not that it's trying to be more clever. I think there's more, I'm trying to find a right way to say this. Because if we look at like early like Spider-Man or even, even early 90s image stuff, like the plot points were so simple and you knew who the bad guy was, you knew who the good guy was, you knew what their motives were. Um, they were pretty much right there. So there was no guesswork where now you have more writing, especially in the indie scene where things are not always what they seem. So it's almost like every comic that I pick up that's like a, an indie comic is almost like an M. Night Shyamalan freaking uh, <laughs> twist at the end. You're like, oh shit, uh, kind of thing. And this was not that. This was pretty much just straight up like what the 90s were. You knew who the bad guys were, who the good guys were, they have a conflict, got to get it resolved, they get it resolved. Um, mm. So the art was pretty good, the color was good for you know being a one-person team. Shit, yeah, I, I would definitely give this a go and you kind of get a flavor of, if not just for the cover itself, because you know, I was a big Jim Lee fan with Wildcat. So um, yeah, right on. So yeah, Jonathan Luna, keep doing your thing. Yeah, that's really cool that it's this real love letter to the 80s mm-hmm. comics scene and, and style. Uh, because you know we knocked the nineties. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, love yep. of the nineties. Uh, because we knocked the nineties comics uh, a, a lot, but we have so much love for it, and for so many people, especially you, you know, who 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 came into comics because of the launch of Image, and that's what grabbed you and got you hooked on this four color crack. You know, so the I, I love you know, and I love that era too. And as as much as I knock it. 
I still love it. Yeah. I was still buying comics every week in the 90s. And as, as frustrated as I was that, you know, with what DC was doing to Batman and Superman at the time, it was still interesting. It was fascinating. It was new. It was fresh. Same thing with what Image was doing. It was it was it was a game changer. And you can't you know, you can't discount the importance of that era. And there was a lot of great things that absolutely did yeah. come out of that. Era. So and I have to agree. So and, and what I'm talking about when it comes to like like stuff that was not as good, it was more of like the spinoffs. So you had like the original seven, their stories were great. I mean, you had Spawn, which is still around. You had Cyber Force from Mark Silvestri. Uh, you had Wildcats from Jim Lee. You had Shadowhawk from uh, Valentino. You had Savage Dragon, which is still around and still yep. being drawn by Eric Larson and Soria <laughs> and all that. It's crazy. Um, but then, and then you had Wetworks from Wills. And, and, and even though he wasn't one of the originals, he's still considered one of the originals he actually was invited in but whatever happened he had to go back home um and i kind of just kept him from uh advancing with image um but he had wet works and, and if we look at out of those guys and then you had young blood from uh rob liefeld of course um which probably would have still been around if he would have just fucking stood with it um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but say so you still have the spawn and you still have savage dragon that have survived from the 90s and are still part of the original, you know, creations. So once you had the spinoffs, and once they started to create the studios, and they had like the mini me's, like you had a whole bunch of like the Rob, like uh, what is it, uh, Dampinogen, right? Came out yeah. of Liefeld Studio and stuff like that. And his very like his early stuff looked a lot like Liefeld stuff, mm -hmm. uh, even almost his signature almost looked like the same. So once you had those kind of spinoffs, and it was less about the story, and it was really more about the art because it was just big muscles big guns, teams. You always had your five on the team. You had your strong guy, smart <laughs> guy, your, your guy that can shoot stuff. Your savage guy. The savage guy, yeah. So uh, there was that formula that was just being used over and over with not really any story behind it. And I think that's what, when, when it grew that way, um, then it was just it was just too much. But the original stories were fantastic, those, those ones that first came out. Because uh, there was a lot of thought process behind it. And these were the stories that those guys wanted to tell that they couldn't yeah. tell at you know Marvel or DC. So, yeah, and and look, Marvel and DC spent a lot of time in the '90s after after Image made such a such a, a, a an impact, chasing that Image dragon, yep. trying to emulate what was what was selling you know in, in in droves at the time, trying to emulate that Image look and style in a lot of their books as well too. So yeah, so yeah the, uh. the impact is 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 huge. Yeah, and and if you think about it, I mean. All right, so you have Jack Kirby, who's like the godfather of freaking comics and stuff like that. And you definitely have your foundation fathers within the comics. And it was interesting. I, was, I don't know who I was having a conversation with the other day, but they were like, all right, who would be the modern day kind of people who influenced and changed the industry? And as much as you would hate to admit, one of them is definitely Todd McFarlane. Oh, oh 100%. So what 100%. he did with Spider-Man was fucking ridiculous because up to then it was just... You know, it was thwack, thwack. He made it twip, twip. Um, <laughs> so from changing not just like 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 the body composition, the poses that he was in, but even the webbing and stuff like that, which he got so much resistance on yeah. um, and stuff like that. And then you can kind of debate who else you want to throw in there, but he was definitely one of them. Um, I, I would throw Jim Lee in there because um, oh, yeah. of what he did with X-Men. Uh, and most people wouldn't agree, but I would throw Lightfell in there because of what he did with New Mutants into X-Force into what he did in Image itself. And at mm -hmm. the age that he did it in, and how people wanted to emulate that style for so long, even though he couldn't draw feet and hands, and probably still can to this day, 
what he did that no one else was doing, where to stop. And, and when I talk about impact in an industry, where the style is so indistinguishable from other people that you can tell who it is right off the bat. Yeah. And so those, to me, those top three were there um, in regards to changing the industry. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, cool stuff. I'm going off a tangent, but yeah, Phalanx, <laughs> if you want to just get a, a kind of feel for the 90s, which is still a great era. So uh, yeah. we, we knock it every now and then, but uh, it was a wonderful time to get back into comics again. So yeah, check it out from Image Comics, uh, Jonathan Luna, the Phalanx. All right, last one. All right. So again, another one from Image. Uh, this is one that we both read. Yep. And this is called The Closet. And this is by uh, the increasingly prolific uh, James Tinian IV. <laughs> uh, art by Gavin Fullerton. Color by Chris O'Halloran. Letters by Tom Napolitano. Edited by Greg Lockard. And boy, man, you know, Tinian just... He does not let up. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This book, you know, if so, New Think really kind of, kind of put this bug in my head and, and got me, you know, a little like agitated, right, and like a little down because of how it approached the whole thing with screens. And and then I'm reading this and that opening scene with the guy in the bar, just you know, and he's talking. He's he's about to move and he's talking to the bartender mm-hmm. and he's you know he's things the move is not going smoothly with his wife and he went to get packing tape and has been gone for hours because he's now at the bar drinking pint after pint after pint looking at the young kids in the bar and being like i wish i was still like them and i mean oh man talk about your middle-aged angst right there in the first like (laughs) six pages that really really got me into a mood i was like oh god this this is going to be a rough night. Mm. And then you get out of that bar and into the apartment and, you know, you see the situation with this guy's wife and you, you know, she's like, I, I can smell. I know you were, you were out drinking. Cause it's like, Oh, the first door was clo- Didn't have tape. And it was, it was closed. She's like, I can smell. And, um, and then he, you know, then she realizes he didn't even get the right tape. He got masking tape and not packing tape, which is great. It's how, just how in his own head this guy is. Mm-hmm. And they, they have a kid, and the kid, like most kids, has a monster in his closet, right? And the dad is very dismissive of it. The bartender gives him advice to try, uh, try a, a, a technique to, to, you know, it doesn't matter how crazy that is. You know, just as long as you're you're buying into it with the kid, they'll believe you as well. Kid doesn't buy it. Kid knows the dad is bullshitting him. And then, you know, the, the dad's just like, look, we're moving. You're going to be in a different home. You're not going to have this closet tomorrow. Just go to bed. It'll be fine. And the kid tries to go to bed. And that freaky thing shows up in the closet. And that really set me off. I was like, this is, this is insane. This is crazy. Especially with what happens at the end, at the very end, to set up where this story is going forward. Um, so, you know, basically not, not all closets stay in their original homes, you know. Yes. Uh, I thought this was really cool. I love the art style. Uh, it's very much a, a uh, that guy Frank Avila uh, type style, um, but just really, really nice, nicely done. Thick, bold lines uh, and really good moody colors. And you don't necessarily get a full look at whatever this thing is, but there's that three quarter turn uh, mm-hmm. on the on the, the, the the third to last page there. 
that I'm like, show me more because this guy looks freaky. <laughs> so I'm in. I'm in on the closet, man. Uh, not that I'm in the closet, yes. but I am in to this book. And I uh, really want to see where he's going to bring it, bring this one because uh, that was it was a really good first issue. Uh, just just made you feel uncomfortable, you know. Yeah, it did. And you know what? He has a really good sense of, of horror, uh, James Simeon. I mean, he, and, it, and it's funny because he does it, it, a wide variety of writing. Because I mean, he's doing the Department of Truth. Yeah. Uh, he's got uh, what's the other horror book? He has a uh, nice house on a lake. Um, uh, yeah, it's something is killing the children. Something is killing the children. Yeah, um, and then he wasn't he writing Joker also. He was right. He's got one more issue left on Joker. Joker. Because, uh, so he's all done these different, DC. yeah, there's yeah. different genres, and he can pop in and out. He's such a good writer. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that he does really, really well is create mood and yeah. mood through you know real conversation. So that conversation that you were talking about at the very beginning with the bartender just felt like a, a real conversation that you would have with a bartender if yep. you were middle-aged and didn't want to go back home yep. uh, to, to <laughs> shitty life. Um, and then, yeah, so I think James Henning just has a really good way of, you know, keeping the right beats to keep the conversation going, but keeping you as a reader involved in the story. So it's almost like you're not reading it, but you're almost experiencing what they're going through as you're reading it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's a good old-fashioned classic car know book and it, there was not a lot in the first issue in regards to you know what this demon is if there's any kind of interaction um as far as we know they've been in this apartment for the last four years so we don't know how long you know the kid was having these nightmares with this particular demon um and they're going from the city now to somewhere in pennsylvania i think the suburbs which i think is going to be much worse because now <laughs> that kid can scream and nobody's coming um yeah. and what i found really interesting is that the closet at the very end disappeared so like and, the closet itself was packed into the boxes and is going with them um, exactly. on the yeah. next thing so yeah guys listen if, if you're a fan of james this is not this is, this is not disappointing at all um yeah. the art style too it's, it's almost like it's a, a a plate like they've taken a plate and they just stamped it down yeah. uh and then moved on from there which is really cool so it's simple and it's almost impressionistic um so if you look at it too close it's just going to look like a blob but if you move back far enough, it looks fantastic because it's not the details you're looking at. You're looking at the impressions of what those things are supposed to be. Um, and it's just really fantastic. So, yeah, I was not disappointed with this. I think I'm going to give it another issue because I want to see where it's going to go. I'm, yeah. I'm not big on horror stuff. So uh, but it, what was really intriguing on this was sort of like the, the way that he had the beats in the conversation. And as somebody who likes to create comments themselves, I'm always looking for like ways to. Uh, or things that I can implement in my writing and in my drawing, and this is something. This was sort of like a, a masterclass one on one in that respect. So cool. cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out. So James Tinian, uh, the Closets, uh, issue number one from Image Comics. Check it out, especially if you like uh, that horror genre. Which is yeah, and if you like, if you like James Tinian, in the back of the book, there's ads for uh, his Tiny Onion. Uh, which is hilarious press yeah uh with a whole bunch of you know christopher chaos blue book season two and true weird season one which is an, an anthology that that looks really interesting especially with that image that they put in there so so james Tinian is not stopping uh and and, he, and no one can stop it no really <laughs> so. so and a lot of these guys are actually doing that so they'll have these their their alternate sites where they're actually doing variant covers that they're selling only on their site as well yeah. So if you're a variant person, definitely 
um, check it out as well. I just thought that was funny. There was Tiny Onion because that's probably how most people pronounce his name. Yeah. Tiny Onion. Um, <laughs> all right, gang. So that's what we have for you this week. Uh, yeah, just make sure that you go to visit your local comic shop and support them uh, so that way they stay in existence so you can keep buying more comics. Um, where do you get your comics from, Phil? I get my comics at The Joker's Child in Fairlaw, New Jersey. Rain or shine or sleet or snow, we have comics for you. And if it's raining, we'll give you an extra plastic bag. Laws be damned to protect your comics. <laughs> the laws don't apply to us. We're above the law. <laughs> um, all right, cool, gang. Yes, um, if you like what you're hearing, just make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast. If you want to be part of our podcast, want to come on and promote yourself and or your project, uh, just go shoot over to amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast, fill out the form, and we'd love to have you on. Um, I, I normally make an announcement on the Kickstarter. It actually did end, I think, this past Monday. Uh, we didn't reach our goal, unfortunately, uh, but it, it, it's fine. So we're actually moving to a, another platform that's actually a little bit more lenient in its, its, its goals. So whether we shoot for a certain goal and get it or not, there's still funding in there. We had quite a number of backers. We just didn't make our goal. And all okay. those backers are going to be transferring over, which is great um, okay, cool. in that respect. So we're, we're not disappointed at all. Um, only like 39% of people actually make it on uh, their their goals on Kickstarter, which is a really low percentage because um, there's mm-hmm. so much stuff out there. So we, we, know, we know the deal. Uh, but as soon as we have details on when that launches again, uh, we'll shoot it out to you guys. And also Red Hyena, I think is like two pages away. Uh, this is volume two of, of being complete. Uh, and it looks absolutely fantastic. So we got some great stuff uh, coming down the pipes, uh, along with some one shots from Dino, who's out in Canada, uh, who did Courage. So we've got some of that stuff coming up as well. We've got a bunch of stuff coming on. Um, so just make sure you visit AmazingActionComics.com to stay up to date on everything that is amazing. Um, cool. All right. Until next time, kiddies. Uh, be amazing. Stay amazing. And read something amazing. Amazing.